Kira. Marler. Oh, hold on, yes, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry, sorry. Oh, Devontae Smith just scored again. Just, he just, did. Just scored again, yeah. Just, yep, right, right then. Right as we were speaking. Let's, let's get some. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Didn't know they were playing football on a Sunday afternoon. Oh, there's a lot of stuff that happens in Louisiana. True. Devontae Smith is old enough to be playing on Sundays. I think we tend to forget the fact that he is a senior and is doing what he is doing. We're going to have a lot of Devontae Smith talk today. The guy who helped Alabama clinch a spot in the SEC Championship along with Florida. That game is in the books. And also Alabama and Florida playing another game before that is also in the books, thanks to Greg Sankey, as we found out. Interesting, interesting move. There were a lot of blowouts in the SEC over the weekend, but by the end of the weekend, we got a new coach in the well, SEC. Okay, there were some blowouts, but Connor, those first two games of the day were the two best games I've watched all year. One, like just the best game I've watched all year in general. The other was like what a, just a classic SEC football game. Loved it. Loved every minute of it. Anna Auburn was fun. I'd argue Auburn's offense kind of being awful down the stretch was a bit put a bit of a damper and that was kind of an anticlimactic yeah. ending to that game more fun but for me I, to watch that part I, I see what you, i see what you did there i see what you did we so we have a lot to get to we're going to talk south carolina shane beamer we're going to talk all about the different games the Devonte smith heisman angle um florida kind of having one of these lackluster starts again but there's yeah. still a lot of things to get to AM playoff hopes all of those things marlon before we do everything Yesterday, had a little Texas Pete wing sauce on a chicken sandwich. You know when I love those leftover artisan buns that we get sometimes? Artisan. Still had some of those. A little chicken sandwich with my wing sauce on there. It doesn't just have to go on wings. It can just go on anything. Yeah. I, I, I'm getting to the point now where I'm, I'm going to get really curious and start dipping my wing sauce in random stuff. That's when you know you have a good sauce on your hands. I I mean, I'm confused by the order of that, the way you said it, but... Um... Yeah, I mean, dip your sauce in anything. Well, I mean, unless you're in Vegas, guys. Dip, yeah, yeah, you're right. I missed. I missed. I'm. I misspoke. I should be dipping something in that sauce. You want to wear protection when you do that, but like, listen, enjoy yourselves. Yes. We're all young. Um, but yeah, you know what, Connor? That's the ad read. Like, there you go. You guys know how much I love Texas Pete. Um, I don't have anything that was as uh, eloquent and, and beautifully uh, spoken as that because yeah. we ordered food, and this is going to surprise you. Um, I started just not really nervously pacing, but pacing, uh, and really wasn't hungry because I was yelling at the TV so much and didn't eat until like 11.45. So, buy some Texas Pete, idiots. There you go. You didn't eat all day? No, I ate all, like, but not dinner. We got uh, like, like a meal gotcha. for like the game. Gotcha. Yeah. We will talk about it, I promise. We'll get there in a second. But go figure, the big news of the day, South Carolina makes a higher and it was trending in this direction. Shane Beamer is reportedly set to become South Carolina's new head coach. I'm sure by the time that this comes out, it will have been made official. Bruce Feldman reported it late on Saturday night, which a little peel behind the onion here. It's always really fun at like 11:30 when I'm like playing. I'm so at like 11:30. I'm writing my. By that time, I'm writing my one thing I learned about every SEC team. Right. Uh, shameless plug, go read it on SDS. That comes out every Sunday morning. Then after that, I usually, you know, I'll usually plan what we're going to talk about on the podcast, like come up with all my notes and stuff like that. And that process will take like an hour, hour and a half, something like that. So usually I'm looking at like a one o'clock bedtime, yeah. you know, sat- Saturday into Sunday. When that comes out, 
I realize, oh crap, I either have two choices. I can either write this column now and stay up until like two in the morning or two, like a little, probably a little after two in the morning, or I can wake up super, super early and get, also get really less, you know, really bad sleep and wake up right. and do that. So I ultimately just decided to just knock it out right then and there, just reacted to it right as it happened. And yeah. I always think that's probably the best way to do it in situations like but, this. So what time did you get up Saturday morning? 7.30. Yeah. Okay, that's a day. That's a day. Yeah, yeah same here. We're working, I gotta, on, we're working on a little over five hours of sleep right now, which is not, not ideal. I'm less than that because I honestly was, I, I usually just beat at the end of the day. God, yesterday was fun. I just really enjoyed yesterday. Not just the Bama game, just in general. Um, and then afterwards, I, I ended up like, I was like getting ready for bed. And I was like, hold on, I have an idea. And I um, went into one of my notorious little deep dives and, uh, and stayed up a little bit later. Mm. So, and then watched part of the game again. It was beautiful. Oh, you would. Yeah. You would. So Shane Beamer is the guy. Um, I have talked myself into this a lot last week, week and a half or so. Okay. And part of this stemmed from the conversation that I had with our buddy, Steven Garcia, who has been banging the drum for Shane Beamer for the last several weeks. Mm. Beamer, of course, was on Steve Spurrier's coaching staff while Garcia was there. And Garcia credited him with doing so much of this heavy lifting with South Carolina's recruiting. He said he's really the guy who kind of set that foundation. Garcia didn't like that they gave the recruiting coordinator position to Spurrier Jr. when that yeah. happened, and that was a whole deal in itself. But he said, you know, 99% of the guys just absolutely loved Beamer. Yep. He was the guy that won over everybody and knew a little bit about everything, which was cool as well. And Garcia doesn't really mince words when it comes to coaches. No. Like, he'll tell, he'll tell you how he feels about someone, and that includes Spurrier, of yeah. course. So I thought that was interesting. Also thought it was interesting in that conversation, found out that he still had an 843 area code, which, Charleston? I So, I, you Born in Charleston. That. And I didn't really get it because I still have a South Carolina license and a South Carolina area code. When you're a head coach and you go to a bunch of different places like that, and you're like, all right, where, where do I like feel like I actually have some roots? Yeah. Where do I kind of want to get back to? And that Should was what Garcia phone said. Number though. Yeah, like you can get a new phone with like pretty much with every single job, I would think. I don't know. Yeah, but That's you want to get a new, anyway. Yeah, this is semantics. Go ahead. But anyway, like the point is, he's always wanted to get back to South Carolina. Right. He loved his time there. He advanced his career to go other places and stuff like that. But this this has been his dream job. And there have been multiple people who have said that. And that is why he the, the fit was mutual. And I ultimately think that's why Shane Beamer made sense for South Carolina and South Carolina made sense for him. Whereas the Hugh Freeze thing maybe did not match up for both parties right. at this given time. Which is kind of different than what I originally thought was going to happen because I, I thought this was lined up for Hugh Freeze. I really did. Yeah, I, I thought, I thought, it, was thought it made a lot of sense. I and I honestly, I still if it's you know this opens the door to all that. It's not going to be groomers this time, but um, you know rumors at Tennessee because everything's like in dismay uh, after. Crew's not getting fired. I, okay, I you said it. that about Will Muschamp too. So why don't we just pump the brakes on all this? And uh, sure, I'm, he's not getting fired. But what I'm saying is. The, the, the point I'm trying to make is, like, if if, uh, if Freeze would have gone to South Carolina, I think his offense, his style, his, like, little, like, niche, like, way he coaches, recruits, all that kind of stuff could really work at South Carolina much more than I think he could work at a place like Tennessee. I You know, I, I think that, like, Tennessee already can recruit on a national level. Like, I think Freeze is the kind of coach that helps you get by some of, like, the disadvantages you have in South Carolina. 
And, you know, regardless of that, Beamer, I don't know hardly anything about him. Just just full disclosure. What I will say is the, the one thing that I know is, and you talked about it with Garcia, just the resounding overall approval from former players and, like, legit players, players from, from love the, like the peak of this program's history. Like, we're talking about the early part of this decade. G, like, DJ Swanger, like, he first one to go to bat for him. Loves him. And, and Melvin Ingram. Yeah. That's another one. And, yeah. you know, when you have a little bit of this, like, back and forth and kind of like some uh, some tension and, and stuff like that between the current players, you saw when they were going out and – I can't imagine talking to Swearinger. And, and – I can't imagine looking him in the eye and feeling like I'm on the same level as no. as him. Just just from an intimidation standpoint, yeah. I, I feel like I'm I, I'd be the beta every single time with most. I am with most former players. Full disclosure here: when you're five eight, you know I'm 170 pounds. That you know that stuff tends to happen. I like to arm wrestle him right away, but I wouldn't do that with with Swearinger. So I mean, I completely agree with you on this one. Um, reg- I mean, regardless of that, I, I think that those guys. That is the peak of this program's history. And they're the ones that went to bad form, and I feel like they they kind of wanted to say in this decision. And you know, I don't I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I know that like it's at least a positive that if, if he's a player's coach, that's more than he very much is. Yeah, and and it sounds like he can recruit, and he's obviously has like you know good bloodlines or whatever you want to say. Like he's not from the coaching tree with Beamer, but you know, all in all, I think it's a good hire. Well, yeah, I mean, so that's that's the thing is that his background is so unique. Yeah. And I, I can't, I, the more I thought about it, I'm like, I actually kind of like this for what the head coach position has become. There are a lot of people who are very hung up on, and I, I sort of, I, I'm guilty of this as well, I'll admit that, of kind of dismissing him early on mm-hmm. saying, well, this isn't some big time, you know, offensive coordinator, up and comer. He doesn't have head coaching experience. We've seen with Coach O, we've seen with Sam Pittman, I've talked about this before, two guys who have been able to have success success at their respective programs despite not having either of those things in their right. background at the FBS level. The thing that that is really intriguing to me about Beamer, these two things. So, yeah, he doesn't have that experience as, uh, as a coordinator, as a head coach. He has coached cornerbacks, linebackers, special teams, running backs, tight ends. He has been in big-time role as, as a recruiter as well. And that is just someone who is going to be in a good position now where you have 10 on-field staff members yeah. that you get to work with here where he's really going to truly be able to oversee everything. He's not going to be the type of coach where, you know, like you see Spurrier or, or Mullen sometimes, like where they're almost like turn their back when defense is going on. <laughs> yeah, Spur- Spurrier is notorious for doing yeah. that, more so than Mullen. I don't want to get Florida fans too upset by saying that. But he's not going to be that type of coach, and I think he's going to be able to have kind of his hand in a lot of different things. And what I also like, so South Carolina fans kind of grew frustrated because it's like, you know, Muschamp is going to do th- – Muschamp is this Saban disciple. Yeah. And I think Pruitt, to a certain extent, is like this as well. And I know Pruitt's worked with really good coaches in the past. But think about all these different coaches that Beamer has had to be able to learn from, having worked on their staffs. Philip Fulmer, yeah. Sylvester Kroom, Spurrier, obviously, his dad, Frank Beamer, uh, a legend, Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley. He's been on the offensive side of the ball for the last decade. I think his background actually really sets up for what South Carolina needs right now in this moment. And I think that he's going to give them kind of a, a calming sense. Yeah. He's going to be able to recruit there. And I think he's in it for the long haul, which, like, if Hugh Freeze gets that job, yep. you have that question probably. Very good point. And I tell you what, like, like when I was saying, you know, at the beginning part of this, like, I, I don't know much about him. Like, 
from like looking up like how his offenses have performed or how this is like you know this unit like whatever and like that oftentimes is like what people will look up when they talk about a new coach i i know nothing about that the point you just made is the best point like his unique background and being able to learn from so many different coaches that were like so successful in like you know the previous era like the decade before this and then also like being able to like learn from obviously frank beamer but steve Spur and lincoln riley I mean that that's incredible. Yeah, that's and, that's unique. And I think the best part about all that is, you know, outside of just the experience stuff like that, the fact that South Carolina fans have to just feel like just like there's new life, like they have to feel excited again, and and, and there's mm-hmm. you know some sort of like pulse around the uh, the program. But when you have somebody that you hire that's one of your own that feels like one of your own, there's yeah. a there's a different level of of not like faith in them, but just like you know. Like it just feels like it's a weight off your shoulders, and like like you said, like you don't have to worry about Freeze leaving from the job. It's not a stepping stone. It feels like you're loved in return. If that makes sense. And I kind of don't think that South Carolina is the type of place right now that needs a splashy hire. Yeah. And I, I've I've come around to this belief of look, they're not trying. They don't need to sell tickets. I mean, that's yeah. not that's not the goal there. They don't need to raise money to be able to build facilities like a place like Vandy. Where you know South Carolina's got a the brand new fifty million dollar football oh, yeah, facility fans will show up no matter what. So that's not an issue. You, you need a coach who's going to be able to win. You yeah. need a coach that's going to be able to to narrow the gap that you have between the Clemsons, the Georgias, even uh, even the North Carolinas right now. Yeah. And I think that Shane Beamer is going to be able to do that. So big news out of Columbia today. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more Shane Beamer moving forward. Devontae Smith. In last night's game against LSU, okay. So I'll give you I'll give you a chance here to kind of speak your piece on on Bama getting. I put revenge in air quotes. Yeah, why are we only talking about Devontae? Everyone went off. We won't. We won't. We won't. We don't have to. But he was the most noteworthy on a variety of levels. Yeah. And you know, we, we knew Najee was going to be able to have a lot of success. I kept bringing up the point about how he only had 24 carries in the month of November. He was going to get a lot of work against an LSU defense that, even in a good performance last week against AM, struggled to stop the run. Devontae Smith helps Alabama have its most points ever against LSU. In Three touchdowns, Rouge. 100. I think it was. Uh, I think it was just overall that was the most points that they've had. Uh, I remember they said at halftime it was the most points they'd ever scored in Baton Rouge, and it was only the half. So, but you could be right. So, I mean, Devontae Smith had the type of performance that on a on a national stage like that, with everybody watching CBS and prime time, that everybody all of a sudden notices. And there were two. You know, there are a lot of people who are just going to watch Bama LSU in a normal year, no matter how lopsided that spread mm-hmm. is. And what he did in that first half while he had everyone's attention was just ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I, I get it. it was weird that Derek Stingley wasn't on him more. To me, that, that didn't really matter that much. Like, Yeah, thank you for that. He, he was, he was going to score against anyone. But everybody starts talking Heisman at halftime after he makes that ridiculous catch in the back of the end zone. And it was peak Devontae. He had like God, five or six catch. catches like that. Unreal. Why can't the narrative, the Heisman narrative that we talk about so much, why can't it favor Devontae Smith? You lose Jalen Waddell. He is the only guy now from that dynamic four receiver group last year that's left. And we both have done now research on the side-by-side with Devontae Smith in 2020 and 2014 Amari Cooper. It's ridiculous. It is. It really is. Because they're averaging like the, almost the same exact amount of catches, 8.9 catches per game. But... 
Smith is averaging 145 receiving yards compared to 123 for Cooper. He's also averaging 1.7 receiving touchdowns compared to 1.1 for Cooper. He's not going to get 14 games, even if Alabama wins a national championship in this year. He's already, he's already equal his, his total in touchdowns. It, it like, is wild. <laughs> it is wild. And some of the Heisman stuff with receivers. Last top five finisher in the Heisman voting from the receiver position, D.D. Westbrook, of course, 2016. Yeah. On the year, so 12 games before the Heisman, 74 catches, 1,465 yards, 16 touchdown catches. Again, 12 games. Devontae, 80 catches, 1,305 yards, 15 touchdown catches in nine games. Yeah. I mean, the only Heisman winner, the only Heisman runner-up at the wide receiver position since Desmond Howard won it, Larry Fitzgerald, 2003. Why can't Devontae Smith be at least in that conversation? Oh, he should definitely be in the conversation. I, I said this to Allie last night. Like, at one point, I was like, you know what? Just F it. Like, just invite, like, 13 people to the Heisman, like, ceremony. And, like, invite Fields and, and Trevor just to be nice. But, like, invite the people that deserve to, to be invited. Because, so like, the virtual? Yeah. I, I honestly think that there's there's 13, not 13, I'm sorry. There's at least three from Bama that should be invited. Legitimately, like, legitimately should be invited. Najee Harris has 20 touchdowns. Devontae Smith is, you know, and and I understand that sometimes, like, the bar is set and then moved because there's new offenses and and there's, you know, the the game itself changes. Amari Cooper, his his season was, like, the most incredible season I had ever seen from a receiver. Like, it set all sorts of SEC records. It was just six years ago. And now you're looking at it like what's incredible about this team in general is Devontae those numbers you just talked about where he's projecting to, to have even better numbers than, than Amari, the same can be said for Najee Harris against Derrick Henry and Mac yep. Jones versus uh, Tua in 2018. It's, I mean, like I, I don't think Najee will get the same level of, uh, what do you call it, like, total yards that, that Henry had because Henry had like 2,300 yards. But still, like it, it's just an unbelievably impressive offense. And I think that he absolutely should be invited and be talked about. Tony Barnhart thinks he should be the leader. I mean, John Mechie said during the week, he thinks Devontae Smith is the best player in college football. And I'm struggling. I know Kyle Pitts is fantastic. And I know that there are are a lot of guys, you can include Brees Hall in that conversation from Iowa State. Yeah. I'm having a tougher and tougher time arguing against Devontae Smith as the best player in college football. And I've been saying this for like a month and a half that what he has done now to elevate himself as a route runner. Yeah. And especially without Jalen Waddell. Where everybody's, you know, we go back to the same David Pollock comment. Bama's done without Jalen Watt. I cannot believe some of the catches that this guy continues to make and how easy he makes this game yeah. look on this level. And you could say that it's the LSU pass defense. Dude's been doing this all year. He's been doing this all year, regardless of quarterback, regardless of which receivers he's had alongside him. And the guy just continues to produce. And I am becoming more and more okay with the belief that he can win the Heisman Trophy, if he continues to, if he finishes these final two games with like 150 yards and two receiving touchdowns each of these two games, like, why can't we appreciate his greatness because for we what don't. it is? You, I know, but like, why can't we? That's what I'm listen, saying. Listen, what you're saying, again, is rooted in logic and reason, and it'll never work out because I, I love the fact that he is getting actual legitimate attention and, and, and like, you know, um, they're, they're making a push for it, I guess, like some writers. Like, the fact that Tony Barnhart is is so outspoken about it, I think says a lot. I said this to Allie earlier in the week, and I said, I, I heard some metric from Bill Connolly. He said, like, on paper, like, statistically, this is the best 
Alabama team we've ever seen under Saban. And I was like, there's no way. Like, like 2016 I thought was better, 2011, like 2012. And, and I started thinking about those are totally different teams because it's offensive versus defensive uh, where your strength is. And I was like, you know what? Honestly, I don't think they, they can be the best because if they had Waddle, sure. But if somebody can stop Devontae Smith, and if you could just be above average at stopping the run, like just bottle up Najee so he doesn't go off, I think Bama's beatable. And I, I feel like it shouldn't be that hard to stop Devontae Smith because you don't have Waddle, you don't have Judy, you don't have Ruggs. Mechie has, uh, continues to drop passes that he should be catching. I, I feel like it shouldn't be that hard for defenses to not let, not, like, not let Devontae Smith be wide-ass open in the end zone. And each and every week, he just gets better and better and better. And it's ridiculous. That's the point. So, that's the yeah, point. that's like, it, I mean, I think he should definitely be a finalist. I don't know if he will have a legitimate chance to win because I just think the narrative is, is so entrenched now. It's got to be a quarterback. It's got to be the best team. Did you see the stat line they had last night for Ian Book? Like, like they were trying to uh, make a push for him? Ian Book is averaging two touchdowns per game coming into this. Like, I, I get it. He's the quarterback of the undefeated team. He was averaging... In 2020, that's not going to happen, and that's why he hasn't been getting serious consideration. Dude, it said on the actual graphic on Fox, it said, like, here's Devontae Smith's, like, total touchdowns receiving. Here's uh, this quarterback's total, or Kyle Trask's total uh, touchdowns passing, and then, like, some other one. And then it said, Ian Book, 10 QB wins. Oh, gosh. That was the stat they threw up there. So, I like, oh, I definitely think that, you know, Devontae... Could have a real chance, like you said, if he goes up. If he goes off in Atlanta, sure. If he does that, if he has that type of performance in Atlanta, and it's like, oh, on this stage where we're looking at him, because remember, like, it's not just Kyle Trask and Mac Jones. There's a lot of debate as to whether or not Kyle Pitts is the best player in the country, too. And if he looks that much better than Kyle Pitts as well, I know it's 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 become such a narrative-driven award. I, I get it. But why, like, what more can you ask a receiver to do yeah. than what Devontae Smith has done? I just How don't big think is Kyle Pitts? he makes every catch. Kyle Pitts is 6'5, 250. And he's, he's lining up uh, in the slot and stuff like that and then doing jump balls in the end zone and, and, and getting mismatches all the time because he's a tight end slash flex guy. How big is Devontae Smith? Buck 75. Devontae Smith just went to Baton Rouge and absolutely owned Derek Stanley once again. Um, like he's, he's done it against every single cornerback you can throw at him. He's done it year in, year out, but especially this year. I, I can't, like we said last week, maybe Kyle Pitts is the best player at his position. Sure. I, I don't know if we can make that argument anymore. I, I think Devontae Smith has to, has to be like win that argument at this point because pound of what he did pound. last night. Yeah. I mean, exactly. So LSU, as you just mentioned there, it didn't matter who was on Devontae Smith. We kind of wondered, Hey, maybe the past defense has turned the corner with what they did against A&M. Uh, in hindsight, that looks like AM's not really going to be a team that's going to stretch you vertically. Right. Uh, Alabama, of course, was going to be that team. It was a bad matchup in hindsight. Well, and in uh, 2020 vision, we pretty much had for the LSU defense. Definitely has not turned the corner. Still way too many guys running wide open. What was it, like the third touchdown of the day where there's just nobody near? Oh, my God. The, yeah. Was it Mechie who caught that? No, it was, it was Billingsley, just, but they had three people I that always, flocked God, to him. I always do that. Yeah, I, I mean... Yeah, I mean, like, I, we knew this was going to be a struggle. I, I wasn't, I, like, it was weird going into this game because I always say every year it's my least favorite game. It's just, like, consumes, like, my entire week because it's, it's just always such, like, a, you know, an incredible game. Like, I just couldn't really get up for it until Friday. And Friday, I, 
I saw a video that I had not seen before, and apparently everyone else had. I didn't realize that Coach O told the entire team to gather on Bama's A at midfield last year to break break down. So that, for me, kind of put it over the top. And, I, you know, it probably I didn't need much to get there. But the fact that the locker room video, sure, carrying your quarterback off the field, that also seems excessive. But to do any of those things, let alone all three, is just so much. It's just so much. And, and I was so fired up to see what was going to happen. And honestly, I thought, well, maybe Saban will, you know, maybe take it easy and he won't run off the score. And then I heard his quote before pregame when he said, say it. It was, oof. It was uh, something to the effect of we need to remind LSU that we're not on, that they're not on our level. And yeah. again, I'm, Post I'm it paraphrasing. Out. Yeah, um, not quite, not quite. But cl- yeah, basically. Es- essentially, it was Saban's way of saying, we remember what happened last year, and we know what they said, and we are going to make sure that they regret those comments. Yeah, and, and they did. And, you know, I think he really took his foot off the gas in the, in the second half. But, I mean, listen, the 2019 season for LSU was awesome. It was an incredible thing. But I remember saying last year so many times, and I was honestly kind of pissed at how quiet this like social media was, how quiet the Facebook group was. Like, I, I didn't hear from anyone. And I remember last year, like, I couldn't get away from it, obviously. And, and I get it's a different situation because Bama lost and hadn't lost in so many years to him. But it just, it, it makes me laugh because looking back at last year and how everyone would, the response to me saying, well, you know, there's been a lot of injuries and this, this happened, this happened. It was like, oh, he's just being a homer. It really, it really is crazy to think that it was still only eight combined points with six starters out and all this other stuff. That, what it took to beat Bama over the past couple of years. And, man, just, I, you know what? Bite your tongue, guys. Bite your tongue. On the bright side for LSU fans who no, had not. to experience that last night, uh, they got a day closer to Bo Pelini being fired because Coach O losing his mind like that on the sideline. Um, that's oh not God. what a coach does. That was like, I mean, there, there are blow-ups, and maybe it's just different because of the physical nature of Coach O's blow-ups yeah. compared to some of Saban's and just the physical opposing... I mean, this that was a that was a slam of a headset. I have no idea how that headset would have been still working if it was. Props to the headset because that that poor thing took a beating on that. Oh man! It, 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 one thing that did upset me about this too is because I, I love Coach O and I think he's done a great job there, but it does it looks it looks more and more like you know as the season goes on, where it makes me wonder like, all right, was that a flash in the pan? Or was that like, you know, this is what he's capable of building? At Next year is going to be a better indicator, I think, of that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's fair. I just, you know, he picked he picked Bo Pelini out. He's the one that like, stood by him and stuff like that. And I think that, yep. honestly, like I, we loved the bravado last year. We loved it. But it just kind of also felt like maybe maybe stuff like that is not the best idea anymore, guys. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. Playoff teams in the SEC, hopeful playoff teams. Texas A&M. All eyes are going to be on the Aggies on Saturday. They get the noon kickoff on ESPN. A lot of people probably hoping A&M can just kind of lose a game to Auburn and not be part of this conversation. But instead, A&M goes out there and it does something that A&M has not really done during the Jimbo Fisher era. I came away super impressed from the Aggies from that game because you got to remember, yes, Auburn's been a very inconsistent team this year. Still, Bo Nix ten and one at home. Yeah, Kelman, we were talking about this year. Kelman had two true road wins entering this season. Yeah. He's now got three in twenty twenty alone. The numbers were better that, this year for him, like not like wins and losses for sure. Year. But um, and then also you talk about the Bo Nix record. Uh, 
I think Malzahn's like 12 and three uh, as an underdog at home. At home, yeah. Um, I mean, the Kellen Mond stuff, we have said before about the Jekyll and Hyde nature of his play at, at times. Up until that South Carolina game this year, he had never had a game in which he led AM to a 30 point effort on the road. Yeah. Uh, his home road splits were, were atrocious, much, much like Bo Nix. Mm-hmm. So you think, okay, maybe. Maybe Auburn's actually got a chance, uh, even coming off the Alabama game, if they can get Tank Bigsby a little bit more healthy. Who knows? But I just thought in the biggest game of Kellen Mond's career, and I know there are a lot of things that worked in A&M's favor that, uh, around him as well, and he cited that. I thought in the biggest game of his career, he absolutely delivered. Yeah. Absolutely. And that really was the biggest game of his career, unlike what Dan Orlovsky oh said about Justin Fields. We're going to get to that in a second. I, I, so ugh. what was amazing for me to watch this was like, you know, We've waited for four years to watch Mon do something like this on the road. And, 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 you know, we always hear, you know, the A&M's like preseason hype and they never amount to anything and blah, blah, blah. And we're getting closer and closer to the end of the season and that finally being proven that's not true this year, right? And so yeah. to be down six on the road, and I know Auburn's not a ranked team and, and I give them hell all the time, but like to be down six to a, a team that's plus 500, which we know that the playoff committee loves to bring up, I, I just, they absolutely dominated that fourth quarter. Absolutely dominated yeah. them. And, like, I think they outgained Auburn by, like, 160 yards. They, they outgained by, um, what was it? was it, I guess 14 points um, to win the game. And it was, like... 11, yeah. Yeah, so it, it was, and I hate to say this, and people are going to probably kind of, like, you know, um, scoff at this, but it was a championship performance. It, like that, that's that was what, it, what you would hope to see from Anna. Yeah, like, I mean, if you, if you are down on the road... It is a spot that you have like really not had any success in at all uh, under Jimbo, like really uh, in probably in the last half decade, to be in that spot and to finally overcome that. I, I don't think they get anywhere close to like the the love they they should have gotten yesterday from like the national media. You know how I feel about like how the playoff committee views them. A and M is not going to do anything sexy. They're just not. I mean, they are such an efficient football team. I love what they do on third down. That defensive line is awesome. The running game is just its incredible. Kellen Mond running the option is beautiful. It is. I love the old school option when he'll occasionally do that. Too. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. There are actually two instances where I thought Kellen Mond could have run the ball and he made the wrong decision where he had a clear first down and instead he tried to make a throw. One time it worked out, one time it didn't. Yeah. And the only really bad, bad decision that he had on the day was, of course, the ball that he threw that went right through the mittens of Zacoby McLean and went perfectly to Jalen Watermeyer yeah. for the touchdown. Jalen Watermeyer, Jalen Watermeyer is so so good, so and good. he's going to be a, he's going to be a preseason All American coming into the 2021 season. Yeah. He's only a sophomore, and people are going to want to talk about Baylor Cup. I know, I, I get that, I did. and they're going to want to talk about they're going to want to talk about Eric Gilbert as well mm-hmm. because Eric Gilbert is going to be the next guy at LSU, and he is freakishly talented. But Jalen Watermeyer just does things every single week, making catches in traffic. That you're just like, like he was out, they ran him on, on like this, this crossing route where he's like out running an Auburn defensive back yeah. and like has a full step on him running across the field. I'm like, how can this Auburn defensive back not catch up to Jalen Watermeyer making this big third down play? The guy is really, really athletic. And I feel like he kind of gets lost in the shuffle in this year where we're talking about right. Kyle Pitts a lot and Eric Gilbert's the future and all that. So I wanted to just make sure that he got the yeah. love that he deserved because he's just such such a good, good player that people don't really realize until they actually watch him. I think I said that during the Bama game, and then I also said this, and I, and I meant it mainly in jest, but I was like, 
A&M's best third down football team, or, or Kellen Mond's best third down quarterback in the history of the world. And I was, they were number one in third down yeah. in the LSU game. And then they had the big third down issues in the LSU right. game where they were like two of 16. And then they got all of that back against Auburn. Yeah. And, and again, like, like, and I think my biggest frustration, because a team like A&M, and, and, listen, I, I said it last week. I don't know if I would bet on A&M to beat Ohio State. Could they? Absolutely. Absolutely. But like, I don't know if, if they would be the favorite or, you know, whatever you want to say about the eye test. But the resume is there. Okay, they've they've had one loss this season to the number one team in the country that you, everyone's raving about, and it just really bummed me out. And part of it's because I was going back and forth and watching this and Dan Orlovsky, and and the fact that uh. yeah, you were spot on about that. God, he's awful. Mm. He's awful. And and, and I I'm watching Kellen Mond, you know, like lead a team to a comeback victory, and at the same time, I, I in a commercial I turn it and I hear Dan Orlovsky saying he's blown away by Justin Fields' performance in the first quarter when he's 4 of 7 for 47 yards. And it's, his, quote, the biggest and most important game of his career at 2 and 3 <laughs> Michigan State. And so what I, what I hate this, like, you know, like, yeah, that is that is the response that deserves, Connor. He played in a playoff game. He played in what? a playoff game 11 months ago. <laughs> Like, he had a throw to get him to get Ohio State to the, the national championship. The effing fake punt he ran in the SEC championship was was a bigger moment than that game. Like that, I'm not saying that to make fun of Georgia fans, but like Jesus, what are, like Ohio State's a good team, but why why are we making so many excuses like to just so we can feel like we're right with this whole like confirmation bias? I just really I really wish, especially with all the like the rescheduling, I wish there was a way to get one more like test. Uh, for A&M to prove themselves. Because I, I feel like they shouldn't have to, but the committee isn't seeing what everyone else is seeing. It's a shame because this is a really, really good football team. And no, they don't have the same amount of weapons as Bama or Florida's like that, but they have enough. And they have they have enough to really bully you up front and then also, yeah. you know, like create mismatches with their offense, especially when Mon is, is on. Yeah, that offensive line, Maroon Dunes, <laughs> They, they get after it. There's no way that they are the number 40 offensive line in America. Sorry, pro football folks. Is that real? Same guy. Yeah, that's real. Same and guy BYU who said one. that. Uh, same guy who said that Kyle Trask was not an elite SEC quarterback. Was ready that AM has the number 40 offensive line in America. Kellamon's been sacked three times all year. He's thrown two interceptions. So Five combined sacks taken in interceptions thrown. You want to tell me that AM with that ground game is number 40? That's a joke. Um, this is, it's close to a complete team. It's close. Like I said, they don't have the weapons to be able to stretch the field, but what they do have, and I thought it was a key moment of that game where Todd McShay, who's on on the sideline is saying, you've got, if you're A&M right now, this is the perfect time to stretch the field. I think this is when A&M was up 21 to 20 in Mm -hmm. that game. And they're like, Auburn has this single high safety. They're playing press man coverage. They're giving these guys like one, two, three yards off the line of scrimmage. You need to try and take a shot downfield. And that play was the key play that Kellen Mond throws into Anaya Smith downfield in the slot, sets up that big touchdown. I don't know why they didn't go for two to try and make it a nine-point yeah. game instead of an eight-point game. That's neither here nor there. But they're they're capable of doing those things. Yeah. And with that offensive line, they're going to have a chance. That's a championship caliber offensive Without line. Without a doubt. It just Four is. Seniors. And they finally have that. Yeah. Yeah, really I, I agree. I, really honestly, good. I had more fun watching that game than um, – then what do you call it? the uh, the the Bama game almost and and I, and I will say this too because uh, I know Auburn fans got really butt hurt last week uh, some of them about me gloating about the rivalry win because um, I know that they didn't do that the year before but anyway Bo Nix's play where he just Harry Houdini out of like I don't know four guys 
And then that's going to be every pro Bo Nix argument moving forward. That that play right there will be at the center of it. Yeah. Um. But almost even more impressive than that. Tank Bigsby's run, it, it didn't score. I think he ended up getting out of like the one yard line. It should have been like another four yard loss. He breaks like two tackles and he's he's hurt. He's hurt. And then the cut he made in the open field, that kid is gonna be a special, special, like real special. Auburn should shut him down for the rest of the year, though. Like yeah, if, if I'm if I'm being hundred percent honest, well it's it's a hip injury. And that's yeah. that's the type of thing you just kind of worry about with a guy like that. It's like what are at this point, like, what are you, what are you really playing for if you're Auburn? According to Gus Malzahn, yeah, that was O'Connor's words. Uh, according to Gus Malzahn, playing for six and four um, would give Auburn a pretty solid season. Um, Ooh, that's bold. Okay, so he caught some, he caught some heat after for these comments. Yeah. Auburn fans did not like hearing that after losing a game at home by double digits to a division team that wasn't Alabama or wasn't a historically good LSU team. He said that it would be a solid year with the normal non-conference schedule. So what he was trying to say yeah. is that this would be like a nine-win season, kind of. Like, he's basically saying those gimme non-conference games, if you add it on to a year like this, if Auburn were to go 6-4, and four, that, all right, like, this is, this is to- perfectly fine. The problem is that you can't do that. And you wouldn't actually be playing 10 conference games, so you wouldn't have gotten the six wins anyways. Yeah, but Not everyone's seeing your positivity there, Coach. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I remember one time in college I told, this is really bad, but I told my, uh, I was drunk, and I said something to my girlfriend at the time, that um, her boobs looked a lot better now that she had gained weight. And I tell you what, Connor, that's not something that you should ever, I meant it in the what? nicest way possible, in but the, I delivered it just as like, your boobs look good now you've gained weight. I, like, and I meant it to say in such a more eloquent way, and I didn't. I didn't. Do you have a brain? Do you have a brain? Oh, I mean, sometimes. And I did not at that moment because it was shut down from, from woodchuck and vodkas I was drinking all night. But, yeah, I mean. Who drinks woodchucks all night? And vodkas. Woodchuck mixed so with vodka? I, what are you doing? The bartender used to just pour vodka into the cider, and I didn't. Like, I never. I was, like, 21, so I'd never had a cider. I was like, oh, this is like apple juice. Sure. And they would just pour, like, two shots of vodka and you can't taste it because it's, it's so sweet. God, I was like 21. I wasn't making good decisions. Oh. It was awful. But I was just saying, you know what? Sometimes like you, you gotta you gotta let things marinate before you let them come out of your brain to your talk box because that is not, it's not a good look, Gus. Auburn's problem too Their is boobs. not woodchuck. <laughs> it's not that. It's not woodchucks and vodka either. The problem is that there have only been three times all year where Auburn fans have actually felt good about a game yeah. afterwards. Kentucky, LSU, Tennessee. Other than that, even you know Arkansas or Ole Miss, where you feel like you probably got away with one, it's it's tough to continue to sell that. And in a year like this, where you don't have those feel-good non-conference games, that matters. That matters to a fan base. Auburn. Um, I don't think Suck. Gus Malzahn's getting fired. I know we have to ask that question after every single loss, but yeah, twenty-three million dollars is a lot. It's a lot, even for Auburn. But nonetheless. Firmly on the hot seat going in 2021. Wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, of course. Florida, Tennessee. Too much Trask and TDs. Trask and TDs. How was Kyle Trask's day, you ask? God, I didn't think he played that well in the first half. I really didn't. And then you kind of look down. You're like, oh, he's still got 250 <laughs> passing yards. <laughs> That's, it was a ho-hum, right? It was like the definition of like a ho-hum day. And I remember looking up at the same that at the same time, but I was like, he's 24 of 32 for 300 yards and four touchdowns. Like, what happened? 
Yeah, that, that's the standard, though, that he's playing against at this point. And I, I thought he had a couple decisions in that game where missing wide-open receivers. He missed Kadarius Tony wide-open once. Yeah. Took a couple of extra sacks that usually you don't see him, him take. But this is, this is the standard he's playing against. And yes, to a certain extent, when you watch him and you anticipate these numbers and you assume because he's been that consistent... It is a little bit Burrow-esque in that way. Yeah. Because I think it's even different than Mac because Mac hasn't had the gaudy touchdown numbers in the same exact way. Whereas, like, no, like, it's, it's, it's part of it. Yeah. Right, it's part of it. I mean, Kyle Trask has 10 more yeah. touchdowns. Yeah, no, you're right, yeah. So, like, it, it's kind of this weird feeling watching him if you don't have a rooting interest where you're just like, okay, he's going to find a way to get to 300 touchdowns. 300, 300 touchdowns yeah, must be a lot. Probably. 300 yards and three touchdown passes some way. And sooner or later, like, that's going to happen, right? But then there are moments where you're like, okay, he should be having 450, pa- 450 right. passing yards and five touchdowns, and why doesn't he have that yet? His standard is so high right now. But even in a game where Florida can't run the ball at all and it was a disaster, yeah. you're still reminded, contrast, very good. Weapons, very good. Florida offense, still good. Yeah, I had a, I had a realization yesterday as to why um, Florida fans, like like our buddy Joe Morrison, PodMod, he brings up all the time. He's like, yeah, not bad for a three-star and blah, blah, blah. And like, because he doesn't believe in the recruiting rankings for one. And then also because... Yeah, you should. You know, so many people spent so much time down like like trying to just absolutely on Kyle Trask all all offseason going into the year like you know like finding whatever I guess I, I mean excuse and and like you know not fact um that they could tell themselves to make them think that Kyle Trask is not very good Kyle Trash Kyle Trash like I heard it all offseason and you know like, Emory Jones is the future right like, yeah, oh yeah all the, so it's that. like it, it, from other fan bases sometimes from their own fan base and it was just like oh you know he's not that good he's a game manager blah blah, blah. He, like, they'll have tape on him and it's so funny because they continue that into the season it's like well wait till they play Georgia like wait till this happens and it finally got to the point where people like I, I felt like I made that graphic comparing him and Mac Jones and him and other Heisman people and it was like a week too early for people to, to believe it everyone was still still like just crapping on it and then finally, it took like a week for them to get it, and it almost feels like they just swept it under the rug again. Like, nah, all right, you know what? Yeah. Like, what, what have you done for me lately? Like, it's, it's not that impressive. It's like, wait, hold, hold on. Like, if you would have said Kyle Trask is putting up, he had a four-touchdown game and threw for 400 yards, and he averaged that like in a month before the season, any Florida fan would take that, anybody would be impressed by it. He's done it all year long against only SEC yeah. competition. He has seven games of four touchdowns, Connor. Seven of nine Pretty good. That's, that's the best that ever that that's never happened in the SEC. He's theoretically, if they so assuming, so we're talking about likely at least three more games, at least three more games because you got one more regular season game against LSU, which should be able to put up big numbers. Yeah. SEC championship, and then you would theoretically at least have a bowl game to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Assuming there's no sort of like opt out if Florida misses the playoff or something like that. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying that's something we need to keep in mind. Four touchdown passes each game the rest of the year. Do the math. Four times three. He could easily hit 50 touchdown passes. He could easily hit 50 touchdown passes in a year in which we have a condensed season against all SEC competition. Again, like we talk about this every single week, but we need to keep talking about it because what he's doing is ridiculous. And I I honestly thought that Burrow would catch up to him at some point. Like like from the pace that he's on, I I thought that would happen at some point. But it it just hasn't. He's just kept up the pace. 
And and I tell you what, especially at a place like Florida, when they've had th- like three Heisman Trophy winners all play the quarterback position, they you have had the best basically quarterback coach and and, and passing offense in the history of college football in the '90s. It's unbelievably impressive what he's doing. And, and honestly, if he gets a fifty. Your opinion? It, you have to give it to him. You have to give him the Heisman if he gets a fifty. Well, he won't. He won't be able to. Um, well, actually, come to think of it, that could work. Oh, they're going to be having. Oh, I wish I didn't say that. Wait. So, what, the voting for the Heisman January 5th. is after the conference. The the ceremony is January fifth. But aren't they collecting all the votes right after the? Con- I think they're collecting all the votes right after the conference championship. Yeah, I'm not sure. So I, he'll I theoretically have two games. You, I, I'm sure you can probably still vote now because they always do that early. But like I. I, they did hear when the cutoff is. Yeah, but there's a lot, like, for the first time in a long time, they're doing it like they should, and people are waiting until after the conference ship. Like, exactly. Yeah, go figure. Um, the game wasn't as close as what the final score indicated. Yeah. Um, Tennessee fans, I, Tennessee fans shouldn't have been thrilled with that performance, but they should have been at least sort of happy that Jeremy Pruitt started Harrison Bailey. He's an idiot. Um, uh, only to, of course, then take him out later for J.C. Shroud and give him more snaps for whatever reason. It's maddening to watch him do that. It's even maddening to watch Jeremy Pruitt bring in Brian Mauer in random spots there. <sighs> for like, where you're just like, second eight. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? It's, it's like the Tebow situation. It's like, well, yeah, we bring in Mauer in our second and seven situation <sighs> so we can throw a screen pass. I, so Quarterback's need rhythm. Oh, yeah, I, coaches I, not understand this. I wonder how much money Kirby Smart is paying him to take the attention off him for, for what he's done with his quarterback situation of the year. But I, I have to disagree with you. Um, when you said it was, they should not be you know, happy with the loss. I, I think Tennessee should, to be honest, because he finally had a new quarterback. I, I didn't think he threw the deep ball really well. He did some things, though, that Garantano hasn't done, and, and mainly not throw pick sixes. But I, I think that in the same way we said earlier, it has to feel good if you're a South Carolina fan. Like, there's just, like, this new energy. It felt like that game, maybe it was the backdoor cover at the end, but it felt like that game was more manageable and not, like, totally out of reach. Like, like, uh... Like some in the past, especially with Garantano starting. I think uh, when you have a true freshman starting late in the season, much like South Carolina with Luke Doty, points are worth double with fans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they kind of celebrate them that way. Like that that long touchdown drive yeah. that we had early in the game, that wasn't just seven points for Tennessee fans. That was at least 14. Seven points that for was, the rest of your life. Yeah, that was that was at least a, a solid fourteen point drive. I, look, I, I get it. I, Harrison Bailey was kind of what what we expected, yeah. right? I mean, there were things where you see him, you see some of the skills, and even when he kind of gets moving out of the pocket when a play breaks down, and you kind of like some of those things. And then you also see him where the game looks too fast, and he takes sacks that he shouldn't take. Right. And you're like, okay, but at least I'm seeing this with a true freshman, and I'm not seeing this with Jared Garantano, a fifth year senior. Yeah, okay, agreed. like at least that's that's the thing that 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 you can hold on to hope if you're a Tennessee fan. The, the issue, of course, with Jeremy Pruitt is now that can, that clinched going 0-3 against Tennessee's three biggest rivals for the third consecutive year. This is year yeah. three of the Jeremy Pruitt era. Um, actually, it's the four. Is it the fourth consecutive? I think it's the fourth consecutive year that they've gone 0-3 against rivals. Yeah. No, they beat oh, no, 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 no. in 2016. Yeah, yeah. So this is the fourth consecutive year, 2017 through 2020. Um Hundred twenty-three to fifty-seven, they were outscored um, by their three rivals this year. This was actually the closest say, loss that Jeremy that Pruitt has had. <laughs> this is the closest yeah. loss that Jeremy Pruitt has had to a rival, um, only twelve points, but it still kind of felt like a lopsided loss. And then the number that sticks out—not just the sixth consecutive loss by double digits. Tennessee in their last six second halves 
been outscored 122 to 26. You know, we talk about this with South Carolina. That's really bad. We talk about this in South Carolina a lot. Um, like, you know, those programs like that need in like an out of conference game, like some of those like gimme wins, like those you know, like the low hanging fruit, basically, that, like Malzahn was talking mm-hmm. about. Tennessee, honestly, th- like looking back at it, Tennessee could have was the one that would have benefited more than anyone. Like they like, needed Charlotte thrown in there at yeah. some point. UAB and, and somewhere like just mixed to in. work your way through, like to get ready before you have to go right into playing Bama. Georgia and and oh my God! So like it's you know it's a murderer's row every year for them, but it's even like you know worse in like a, a shortened season, the more condensed season. Um, I, I honestly still, from what I watched, like I thought there was there were positives to take away from it, and, and I, I felt I know I'll regret saying this, especially in the off season when they get back on their. But I, I just I felt bad for Tennessee fans because it's like you know what this has to be miserable to see the same product on the field every single like week against you know each team and also every year against your rivals, but. At least there was one positive change that was made. It's like you know, Connor. Like like when I say I'm gonna start exercising and I don't, but I did like you know what I did ten jumping jacks and I only ate two Oreos instead of seven. Baby steps. That's what that's what yeah. Jeremy Pruitt did. Baby steps, and he looks like Harrison a baby. Bailey. Yes, Harrison Bailey is the two Oreos and Jared Garantano is the seven in this. Week. Yeah, and Trout is just a Person. stick of broccoli. So. Yikes! Yikes! Nick Bolton. We have to talk about this. Oh, yeah. This is the best game of the, the year. <laughs> um, it was a good game. It was a very good game. It was the best, best game, game of the year. year. might be a little bit tough. might be a little bit tough. Um, I, I spent the entire second half being mad that Nick Bolton got called for that targeting call, which I, I, I know, Arkansas fans, you're upset about Jalen Catalan. You're upset yeah. about that. But that's not a reason for that, that Nick Bolton should have been tossed for that hard hit, that perfectly legal hard hit head away in that him. game. I, I, I've watched I've watched the clip like a thousand times at this point. Uh, that's not an exaggeration. I his last home game. We're talking about that the best sucks. defensive player yeah. in the SEC. He was celebrated on Senior Day because he's going to the NFL. He's going to end up playing 15 years in the NFL. And he's going to have a million tackles, and he's going to be one of those Nick franchise guys, now. big time. I was so frustrated watching that because the interpretation of the rule is just so ridiculous because anytime a guy's head moves, they assume it's because the other player's head or body part had to have caused it right. and not the fact that the guy's own arms hit his helmet because, yeah, Mick Bolton hit him like right where he should have and the guy's arms moved up into his own helmet and it looked a lot worse than it was. But like KJ Jefferson left the ball over the middle of the field. Nick Bolton did what middle linebackers are supposed to do. And instead of rectifying that, they confirmed the call on the field. Yeah. How? How are we still doing this? There are so many other things we can talk about in this game. But, I mean, you're you're right. Like, I, I don't understand. But my biggest frustration with the officials isn't that they get stuff wrong. It's, it's when everyone else can see that it's wrong. And, and like, the announcers in the booth, who, who arguably are having the same exact angles that you're looking at, right? Like, and, like, they, they have the same technology. They're there in person. They're the closest to what, like, what you're seeing. And, and you're the ultimate, like, you know, judge and jury of this. When I hear one broadcaster and then another, and, then, like, all of them, like, you know what, yeah, you know what, after watching the replay, they're going to overturn this. This was not targeting, blah, blah, and, and then they bring in, like, the, the expert on, like, the rules expert, and he says the same thing. The official comes back and is like, yep, it's confirmed. He's out. I was like, How? How? Oh, and it, it's, it's so bad consistently. It, like the, Last year, it felt like in the past couple of years, there's, there were big moments where they, they screwed up. 
this year has felt like it's happened every single week. Every single week. Yeah. It, like, to cost someone a game. Now, this one didn't cost him a game. Um, but, yeah, I hated that for him on, on senior day, especially. That was, that was pretty tough. Um, I, why was this not the best game of the year for you? That was the best game of the year, hands down. So, I would say it was... I don't want to put it in that in that category just yet, just because I feel like we're talking about two teams that are... This is going to sound really bad for Arkansas and Mizzou fans. I've, I've stood up for you guys. I really have. But we're talking about two, two teams that are not playing for the high stakes. Hold on, like hold, on hold on, hold on, hold on. You've said some things that have offended me, and I'm not a Mizzou or Arkansas fan either, but this one takes the cake, Connor. First off, Mizzou has won five out of the last six. And second off, you're the one that's been pushing for this Sam Pittman coach of the year thing for weeks now. And you're saying they had nothing to play for? There's a damn trophy involved. It's a stupid trophy. But, like, that game was – that game had everything you would want in college football. Like, you have you have one team. I get I get what you're saying. But Felipe Franks out. We find out right as, as they're kicking off. So they, they have Rib a – injury. Surprising, yeah. Yeah. So you have, like, a backup quarterback going in there. You have a true freshman from Mizzou. Like, you know, down by 14 late in the, in the second half. It had everything. I love this game. Don't get me wrong. I did. It was fun. And this is going to sound like I didn't. I, I'm not the biggest fan of walk-off field goals. Maybe I'm just scarred as a Bear fan. you 80 of them to lose games. Oh, the double doink. What are you talking about? Cody Parkey. Um, Does that happen yeah, one time, Connor? Happened one, did, did I mean, they, what happened the they, after the second doink? Did they somebody catch it and run it back 109 yards? Yes. For all I know, yes. But I, I get um, what you're saying, yeah. It's, it's kind of like So. I mean, crazy, crazy ending where final minute, you know, Mizzou bobbles away. The game-sealing interception. Mike Woods catches it. Yeah. It's this great moment for Arkansas. I love the shot of Sam Pittman on the sideline. It was reminiscent of, like, Larry Bird back in the day when Reggie Miller had a game-winning shot against oh the Bulls. God. And you see Larry Bird on the sidelines, and he just, like, has no emotion. Everybody around him is going nuts. Sam Pittman just knew that it was still going to come down to his defense trying to make a stop late. And unfortunately for Arkansas, that ultimately didn't happen. You hit the go-ahead field goal to win it. Go figure that Arkansas put up 48 points without Felipe Franks and Rakeem Boyd, who opted out during the week. I mean, that that in itself, I think if you're an Arkansas fan, like that's the positive that you have moving forward. But, okay, you're right. It was a very fun game. It was a very fun game. I enjoyed it. I get scarred from the field goal stuff. I don't like walk-off field ever, goals as much. I want to walk off Hail Mary. That, to me, is like, that. that's always going to be the best. You can say that to anyone else but, but me, that you are scarred from field goals. Um, but uh, I, I, get, I, get, I get what you're saying to a point. But um, I just thought it was, it was awesome because I thought Arkansas had blown this lead, then they'd come back and got it. They had to convert a third and one and then a fourth and one, and they, and they get it, and then they score. It was just it was, it was awesome. And it, for a second there, it did look a lot like the, the kick. Um, uh, from Crouch, I guess, in like in '97, and I thought Mizzou was going to lose. I was like, God, man, that's just like no team has like more heartbreak. I feel like than Mizzou, and then just an incredible comeback. So uh, you know, what? I appreciate 32-yard chip shots that people don't miss and they're automatic. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I thought it was great. Traylon Burks is so good. I love that they on fourth and one on that play. They're just like, we're just going to give the ball to our best player. Yeah. It doesn't matter that he's a wide receiver. We're just going to tell our best player, go get us that, that yard, that first down, right. and, and he reached for it and got it. If he's not the first team all-SEC receiver coming into next year, if people are still trying to tell you that George Pickens is better than Traylon Burks, I'm sorry, he's just not. Right. And I, I'm not I'm not gonna, I'm not going to stand for that sort of slander. Traylon Burks is just so, so good, and I hope people are, are appreciating his greatness. You asked the question earlier, and it's going to be discussed. It definitely will be. Did Sam Pittman lose SEC Coach of the Year to Eli Drinkowitz? Eli Drinkowitz was one five and six. 
No, but Eli Drinkwitz has won five of six for this Mizzou team. Five of six yeah. for a Mizzou team coming into the year who were saying, man, just brutal to have lost what they lost, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They're having to, to replace. Yeah, you still get to be able to have your best defensive player back. You get your defensive coordinator back, another defensive assistant back. But still, the, stat, the deck was stacked against Mizzou. Yeah. And, and I felt that coming into this year. And for them to have won five of six games now, I mean, they're – one win away from having a six and four record against an all SEC schedule, which nobody, yeah, nobody would have predicted coming into this year. I, um, I tip my cap to Eli Drinkwitz. And everyone thought that, that the SEC was out to get him with the way they added the, the extra games to him. Exactly. I'll tell you what I learned this week, Connor, and I think it's something everyone else already knew. But if you give me an extra couple of minutes, hours, days to think about something, I will absolutely overthink it and make the wrong decision. Did you overthink this? Do you remember what I said on the podcast? Well, one, I said I said the under. <laughs> I said the under was the play because I was like scrambling. I was oh. like, oh, you know what? And I'm like looking right at it. It says it's, it's 7-1 in the last eight in this series. It's 11-2. I was like, yeah, the under's the play. And then I... they almost both covered the over by themselves a piece. It was ridiculous. Um, so that was not that was not the play of the day, apparently. But uh, I, I, I wrote that article with, with Mike uh, Bratton on Wednesday, and I, I picked Mizzou. To win, because I was like, Vegas must know something that they're favored. Um, and I forgot what the score was, but I, I picked Mizzou to win. And then I also picked Bama to win 56 uh, to 17. And I changed them both for our staff picks graphic that I put up on mm-hmm. social media. And and Bama won 55 17, and then Mizzou won. And it was like, dang it, Chris. Anyway, yeah, I, I think just, I, I, I know you hate this, but I just feel like all three of the coaches, you can make a case for all of them. But, we also need to stop doing this. Arkansas fans are still doing the whole thing. If we're three and six, we could be six and three because that's getting a little bit. A lot of close losses. A lot of close losses. Like, let's not say six and three. Let's say like. Let's. Here's what we should do. Instead of a, an SEC Coach of the Year trophy in you know theme with Arkansas, mm-hmm. let's buy a whole hog, and Sam Pittman, uh, Lane Kiffin, Eli Drinkwitz, they all just get a third of the hog. There's no way that, we, that Sam Pittman's going to share that. Good point. Yeah. They each get their own hog. Is that good? It's weird. Sounds weird. All right. Okay. <laughs> Real quick on Kentucky, South Carolina. Sorry, we're not going to break down this I'm game not, yeah. a whole lot. Um, I just wanted to say cheers to Terry Wilson, mm-hmm. our favorite neighbor. His last game in Lexington in front of the home crowd. He played well. Uh, Chris Rodriguez looks like a very fun future running back. Great game of future stud running backs in the SEC with Chris Rodriguez and Kevin Harris. Kevin Boy, Harris does not get talked about nearly oh. enough. That's that's like partially our fault too. Somebody brought that up to me on Instagram, and I was like, "Well, there's no way he's a top ten player. Like, it's probably he's probably the fifth best running back." And I brought it up on on the pod. Boy, was I wrong, man. That kid. If there's been a bright spot, it's him. It absolutely is. I mean, the guy just runs so, so hard and looks truly like he's playing for his job every single time. He knows probably that Marshawn Lloyd is going to be all the rage coming into next year. And, man, that guy just continues to produce despite all the turnover that they've had on the offensive side of the ball. How about the turnover they've had on the defensive side of the ball? I didn't realize quite it was quite this bad until Tom Hart tweeted this out. Mizzou, or not Mizzou, South Carolina has one starter One. on the defensive side of the ball from the Tennessee game. That's it. That's, that's all that's left. None. They got two tr- true freshmen starting linebackers. They've got a guy who hadn't played defensive line until two weeks ago, and they moved him over from the offensive line, had never played the position. They're like, 
Congrats, you're a new starting I, defensive uh, lineman. I should know this, but did, did Birch play? Has he been playing? Uh, I think Birch has been playing, but it's been more rotational. Pickens okay. has been playing a lot. Yeah, has been playing good. a lot more. But Pickens, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Pickens has been out. I don't. I know. could be wrong. I haven't that. watched many South Carolina games uh, that like late in the season after after the Auburn game. Yeah, but Sorry. poor South Carolina. That's that's why Kentucky was uh, that's why Kentucky was a double digit favorite coming into this oh, game. God. Uh, what a yeah. score, by the way, forty one to eighteen. Yikes! Nice if the Kentucky team. offense is putting up forty plus on you, you're in trouble I, defensively. When I saw it, I'm not I'm not trying to be funny. I thought it was like a woman's basketball score. I was like, what is happening here right now? It was like halftime, like like. So good for South Carolina fans. So instead of you know dealing with a twenty three point loss to Kentucky and wondering why Will Muschamp can't beat. Kentucky, yeah. you instead, you know, have that loss. You get to see Luke Doty have lead South Carolina to its best offensive game of the of the you know the, the Luke Doty era the century. <laughs> and then you get a new coach, so yeah. it's all well and good. Sunday apologies. How many of these do you have? Because I have two. Uh, we'll see. Go ahead. Okay, I'm going to start where we just were with Kevin Harris. Because I'm so sorry that he has to go through this. I just yeah. am. And I should, you know, Shai Smith is still out there playing. I, I thought at one point that Shai Smith had opted out, but he's still out there, like, continuing to try and produce. Probably going to be gone, I would assume, after this year and going to try and cash in on that. He should be able to, to, to make a living playing football on Sundays. I'll say that after what we've seen from him this year. Um, but... I come back to Kevin Harris just not getting the love nationally that he yeah. deserves because he's going to be the type of guy that people are going to look up and they're going to be like, wow, he's like among the nation leaders at season's end for, for rushing yards. And especially if he gets that bowl game as well. Yeah. And we're going to look we're going to look back and be like, wow, this guy, it, it's, it's a little bit Travion Williams 2018-esque in that he's having one of those types of years that within the SEC, it's, it's probably starting to get get a little bit more notice, but the cumulative numbers are not necessarily going to do him justice. Like he just joined this group How? of George Rogers and and um and Marshawn Lattimore. Did I just say Marshawn Lattimore? I meant Marcus Lattimore. We gotta start it of, over. We gotta start the whole thing over. We'll start we'll start the whole yeah. pot over. Of only South Carolina backs in a season to have at least to have multiple two hundred rushing yard games. He he's I mean, third in the country in, in, in total rushing yards, Connor. He's got 100 more yards than Najee. Ridiculous. He is he has 1138 yards, but he also has 15 touchdowns. And I think that like, you know, when I was looking at stuff last night, and I, I've said this at least three times this season. Like we make these graphics and we, we go over like like all right, who who were like the big like you know guys like that um, like if there's like an MVP of the game, like who's the player of the game, and usually it's somebody from the winning team. And I felt like several times this year I've had to look at it and be like, man, it should be Kevin Harris because he just went off, but like they lost by however many points. So we're sorry, Kevin. Yeah. Harris. So we're sorry. We're sorry for that. And then also. I'm sorry, Malik Willis, because, oh, oh boy, oh, boy. I jinxed Malik so badly, so badly, because I said lock of the week, game day's going to Coastal Carolina, big, big-time matchup for Liberty. Get Take that 10.5. Malik's going to be able to cover it, no big deal. And then by the end of the, the segment where we're kind of like, oh, maybe they're going to have some COVID issues, we find out that night that... Um, Malik Willis tested positive for COVID. And then, oh, by the way, Liberty can't even play because of COVID issues. So lock of the week died a painful, painful death with that. There's one thing to get roasted yeah. and have it come up woefully short, but I am sorry to Malik Willis for putting that on him in this spot, in a big spotlight. That's on me. 
It's on you. Um, Marler Sunday apologies. Let's see here. Tennessee fans, I, I just, I, I don't think that you guys are all bad people. I don't think you guys are all good people. But I, I will tell you that all of you deserve better, and I hate watching fans have to go through this. Um, it's just tough. It, it's, it's, it's really tough. And, you know, we've said, I think we've said it like all three years we've been on here, that like, oh, it's, it's, it'll, it'll get better. It hasn't. So I, I don't have anything to tell you that it will get better or there's like, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, because there's probably not. But just keep your head up and try your best. Um, what else do I have here? Anyone that read a single graphic of mine that I posted on social media this week, God bless you, because it was a tough one. By the end of the week, I was just, like, I had been staring at a computer screen for however many days in a row. I posted the same graphic wrong three times, Connor, and it was not my, not my best. I want to say not my worst, but I think it might have been. So um, anyone that was uh, getting, you know, all this this uh, in-depth details, I think I posted a Bama graphic about their, their playoff resume, and I, I was off by one number. So their their opponent's record looked like it was 32 and 20 instead of 32 and 30. Big difference. Two accents and resumes, by the way. I don't give a Sorry, you know what? We're not going to bleep it out. Um, but yeah, sure. The uh, when you when you have to do graphic design stuff, they don't just include the the little what do you call it? Accent mark. Yeah, especially if you're doing it in Canva. Just a heads up. But I appreciate you um, making me feel worse about it. So that was nice. Did, um, you had the one though. I, I was wondering why you couldn't yeah. have the two. That's I, all. Okay, I, I so, apologize to you for calling that out. Mark. Yeah, I mean it's, it's totally unnecessary, and I hear it like all the time from every. F- comment that I had to read on the internet so I you know I just but it, I'm glad you could bring it up um anyway the next one um I I want to apologize to one person because we got a five-star review so it's gonna be a little bit weird but uh I, I have, we have to apologize to this stranger from the internet and we got a five-star review from uh Clemson 4416 which I, I don't know how he came up with that name He says, I'm a 55-year-old guy that cusses all the time, but not on a podcast from someone who thinks they are being so cool. That's me. I religiously listen to 50 podcasts. That's a lot. But not y'all's anymore. You act like everything that happens in sports is life or death. And brother, I work for Nike. So there's that. Sick brag. All caps, horrible podcasts. And at this point is when I was like going back and forth like, did he? I thought he left a five-star review. What is happening right now? Cussing makes you sound so freaking ignorant. Didn't you go to college? You sound like a 10-year-old. Now back in all caps. Stop cussing, you freak. You are the only one on any podcast that is that unprofessional. Uh, freaking idiot. Five stars so you will read this and believe me. Dot, dot, dot. You are not part of the media. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Uh, sorry to that guy for cussing. It, it, it won't happen again. Um, and, and we appreciate all the feedback. All right, Sunday apologies. Extensive. You know what? Everyone just try to be, I'm going to say it, Connor, be nice to each other on social media for the rest of the year. Just like, try your best to just not be an a-hole for no reason on social media, social media the rest of the year. That's that's everyone's, everyone's not resolution, or not New Year's resolution, end of year resolution. There you go, I'm out. That is wishful thinking, my friend. Wishful thinking. Godspeed. Somebody told me my grandma that's- died because our podcast sucks. Let's get some week 12 lines. Let's do it, shall we? Mm-hmm. LSU, Florida. Florida will be a three-score favorite. 17 and a half points. Um, okay, I, I would agree with that. I, I think it'll probably be more than that, though, because Bama was just a uh, how many... It's also at home for Florida. I'll say 23 and a half. I just went too low. I went too low. I instantly regret that. You're right. 
Auburn, Mississippi State, Road Bo Nix, um, home Mike Leach. Not a thing yet. Yeah. Auburn's Auburn's gonna be a favorite, but not by much. Not by much. I'm gonna say like I'm gonna say eight point favorite. Eleven and a half. Okay. Double digits still. Georgia Mizzou. JT Daniels. Vegas loves JT Daniels. True. But they should should be recognizing how good Mizzou has been. Is it at Mizzou? It's at Mizzou, right? Yeah. It's at Mizzou. Georgia, 13 and a half point favorite. That's interesting because they were a 14 and a half point favorite last time they were there. And there was that Ooh. streak where they had won every game in, against SEC, SEC East teams by 14 points or more in like the last two years at that time. Um, I will say, I'll say 14 and a half. I wonder if they get Richard LeCount back for that as well. Could be interesting. Old Miss, Texas AM. AM will be a home favorite, very favorable matchup for that Texas AM ground game against Old Miss and that defense. Um, I think Old Miss's offense is going to be able to put up some points downfield against that AM uh, pass defense, though. But I'm going to say AM will still be a 15 point home favorite. Uh, no way. I'll say 11 and a half. Um, but this is, this is a very big game for A&M. Like this, like I, I was bitching about Bama getting the LSU game rescheduled. This has got to be a little bit, you got to be nervous if you're an LSU or you're an A&M fan. Tricky matchup. Very yeah. tricky matchup with a team that can, can stretch you downfield. We've seen Florida, we've seen Alabama have success against that A&M, A&M secondary. Tennessee against Vandy. Oh man. If, Oh, if Vandy God. is able to play, if Vandy's able to play a football game, which who knows, um, Tennessee will be favored in it, which is saying more about Vandy than Tennessee. Yeah. By how Tennessee's much? still Tennessee's still got to be at least a ten point favorite. No, right? no, they're not that. No, I'll say. Well, I don't know. Nine and a half. No, I'll I'll say um, I'll say. You know what? I'll say fourteen. Okay, fourteen. I probably went too low yeah. on Tennessee. Another instant regret. All right, last one. Alabama, Arkansas. Bama will be a big road favorite. Arkansas's defense has all of a sudden not looked very good. I yeah. think they're dealing with depth issues. Grant Morgan was banged up in that game. I would tend to think that Bama, at this point, you kind of start at 28 and you go up from there. You, got, I think you Bama, have to wonder how, many, how early they pulled the starters, though. True. I'm still going to say Bama is a 29-point favorite. Uh, I'm going to say 22. Gosh, I would jump all over that. Yeah. I really would. I really, really would. All right. We have still football, mid-December, things that are actually happening. If The season is so strange to look at the calendar and realize, like, I'm so out of sorts when it yeah. comes to, oh, yeah, the SEC championship is in two weeks. Okay. We're gonna have a lot of things, a lot of coverage going on for that as well. As I always say, SEC basketball is up and running. Make sure that you are following all the great things that Adam Spencer is doing with Start Five, with the video series that we're doing there. Make sure that you're following all of our great gambling content as well. Um, we have so, so much going on with our friends at Breaking Tea. We have new shirts that just came out, some Bama shirts that just came out, and I'm sure 
many, many Bama fans will love to see. Um, head over to Saturday Down South and check out everything that we have going right now. Marler, you weren't as fired up as I thought you were going to be. Yeah. But I feel like I feel like we need to get a, a Kojo. What do we need to remember? You didn't beat our ass in recruiting. You didn't beat our ass on the field. It might be too much. 